The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word. Got a bit of a confession. I had a weird week. I don't know if you had a weird week. Uh, it seems to be going around. But there are things that have been a long time coming that took place this week that were uh, uh, very time consuming for me, very taxing. It also came at a time that was uh, less than ideal on a number of fronts. And if you're like me, that's kind of how it works, right? I mean, life is really rarely ideal. I don't think there's been many war- mornings I've woken up and just thought, wow, everything really fell into place, you know. Most of the time, things can be a little chaotic, and and we're constantly in a state of problem-solving or bringing solutions into situations, and it's little things. It's not catastrophic things. I mean, one of the things that I dealt with was a a truck that was in a repair shop that didn't, you know, complete their repair according to our agreed deadline, and so, you know, you're without your truck. Little things like that, and it kind of throws everything off. So, I walked in this morning to the worship team, and they kind of shot some looks and smiles, and I was running a little bit behind. I explained, hey, listen, it's all legit. I'm sorry. You know, I'm here. And then I begin to look around for my computer that has my prepared message on it, and guess what? It's not here, right? Yeah. So that's happened before. That's not new. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit – I had my handwriting analyzed one time by a guy that does that at a very high level. and. And what was really amazing to me was I thought, hey, Holmes, there's more to me than that. Because he did it in like 10 seconds. But you need to read that for a couple days and get back to me because I'm a complex man, you know. Apparently I'm not. He just said, hey, write this sentence and sign your name. And I handed it to him and he just slid it right back across the table. And then he said this, inattentive to detail. And I thought, I don't like you anymore. I was hoping he was going to say something like, you know, like, like uh, uh, heroic, you know, or, or something like that. Instead, he looked at my handwriting, said inattentive to detail. And I said, well, man, that doesn't seem right. And he goes, well, it might not mean what you think it means. And, and I told him what I thought it meant, and it was, you know, not a good thing. And he said, well, it means more like there are things that don't really bother you that might bother other people, you know. And I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a real thing. That, that is true. I happen to be married to someone who is attentive to detail, and I am inattentive to detail. So there are things that will bother her that don't bother me. And a great example is, like, if we're going to do something or if something needs to happen, I'm of the mentality that, like, it'll work out, you know. And she is of the mentality of, like, I want to know how it's going to work out. And that's kind of the difference there. But it does create scenarios where you'll be, like, you'll show up to a, uh, a church service, and you'll be like, okay, now where are my prepared notes? Oh, really? I don't have them anymore. Okay, so what do we do? Well, we solve the problem. So the message that's put together here is put together during the worship set, and it's put together with this in mind. God, what do you want to say to us this morning? I know it's going to sound a little cliche, but I think he knows where my computer's at, right? So I'm not too worried about that, and I think this word is probably a word that's going to be valuable for us this morning in ways that I didn't see coming, and I'm trusting for that, not only for you, but for me as well. So as we get into the word, here's a few things that we're going to find. If you're taking notes, which I recommend, there's a few things that we're going to find. One of those things is going to be who you are. Now, this is a very important thing to understand. If you don't know who you are, you're going to be subject to trying to figure that out all of your life. I mean. You can look at our culture and you'll see a lot of people, especially 
in their, their early years and the younger generations struggling to identify who they are. And in doing so, they do, throw, do so through excuse me, a process of experimentation, which is really reckless and dangerous, right? They'll go and they'll try this and they'll try that and they'll try this and they'll try that to try to find out where do I fit. Well, I think it's really better instead of like trying to, you know, find out who you are through trial and error to go to the scripture to find out who we are so that we can be that instead of just hope we fall into the right place, right? So it's a real important thing to say or to know. And then once you know it, you can share it. Once you know who you are and you can see it in the scripture, it's the kind of thing that you can carry with you and help lead other people into their identity. And really and truly, that's evangelism. I mean, it's not just passing out tracts, hey, you want to avoid hell. It's more of do you realize who you are? Do you realize the worth and the value of your life? I remember when I was born again, that really, you know, escaping hell wasn't really on my mind. I, I didn't burst into tears and think, oh, my God, I don't want to burn in flames. I burst into tears, and, and really, this is what came out of my mouth. I've wasted my life. The realization of how much value and worth there was on it, and it has just been squandered and, and, and cast aside as if it were something that had no value, that was the realization. Knowing who you are is really incredibly important. And we're going to find that in the scripture. Uh, there's a lot of places in the scripture that will reveal that. We're going to look at one specific. Another thing we're going to find is uh, what a loved person must be. What a loved person must be. I mean, if I were to ask in this room, you know, who here is loved, hands would go up. You know, does God love you? Yes, God loves me. And then so then the question is, well, what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What, what comes with that? And we're going to see something. It, it might be a little bit of a curveball, but we're going to play on the words of the Scripture and, and allow that to influence where we go with the Word this morning. And then the third thing that we're going to find is why love is so valuable, why it's so valuable, why it has so much value. And we've you know, done series on love before, and we've talked about love a lot because it's a big feature in Christianity. I mean, throughout the Scripture, it's, it's a massive foundational element. In fact, it's the very identity of God. I mean, the, the scripture says simply, God is love. So it should reveal the priority of the message. But the reality is, when it comes down to love and our understanding of it, it becomes very generic and common very quickly. I mean, I remember we did a series on love, and kind of the running joke as it concerned love becoming common is, I could say I love tacos, right? I mean, like, that's a thing. You could introduce anything and describe it as something you love. Well, the reality is that's something you enjoy. It's something maybe you even prefer. But love is something altogether uh, wonderful and unique beyond enjoyment and preference. It's about sacrifice, and it's a choice. And I've talked to a lot of people about love through different elements of counseling and things like that, and you'll realize that a lot of our understanding of love has been uh, corrupted with the idea that it's a feeling or an emotion when the reality is you'll see from you know the book of corinthians that love is and you'll see a series of things that are all choices like patience and kindness you know and those are choices i can choose to be patient or i can lose it i can choose to be kind or i can be aggressive so love is really a choice and when we see that that love is a choice we can realize why it's so important that we choose it because it has tremendous value I mentioned to you before there were some things that took place this week, and it's one of the reasons why this is on my mind. I have to ask myself, did I operate in love? It's a good question to ask. 
So let's get into the word. So I can quit rambling. We can get into some scripture here. If you uh, have your, uh, your notes out, you can write this down. We're going to start here. I told you we're going to find out who you are. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Now this passage of scripture is going to be identifying a calling that's on our life. It's going to be revealing a wonderful thing. It's also revealing a, a name, a name that is bestowed upon you as the Christian, as the believer as the son or the daughter of God. Now, this word is throughout the scripture. This isn't exclusive to this one passage, but I want to use this passage because of the rest of its contents. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it reads like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I want to stop there for a second because I think it's real easy to read this passage of scripture and, and become so fixed on the content of being born of God and knowing God that we miss out on the identity that is placed upon us in the beginning of the scripture. I mean, as you read that, does the word beloved stand out to you as you? It is you. This is a statement that's being released from one to another and the identity of the one that is meant to receive it is being revealed in the beginning, much like a letter being written that would say, dear you. I'm writing this letter to inform you of who you are. That word beloved is an identifying word that is identifying you as the believer. And if the scripture that is spirit-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired, has gone out of its way to identify me as beloved, I want to know what that is. If that's who I am, I need to know what it means to be beloved. I want to understand it. I, I want to know not only what it means, but why it means it. And then there's another thing that's kind of interesting. I want to respond to it. That might sound kind of goofy, right? But if somebody walked in this room and I'm over here doing something and they said, hey, Preston, what would I do? I'd turn around. Because that is my identity. Now, if, if, if beloved is not my identity, and throughout the scripture I'm hearing, hey, beloved, hey, beloved, my beloved, my beloved, but I don't receive that and respond to it, I'm never going to turn. I'm never going to pay attention. It's another reason why I want to know what that is. I want to respond to that. If somebody walks into the room and says, hey, beloved, I want to turn around and say, yeah, you're talking to me. I know that because I'm the beloved. It's a little bit goofy as an example, but I think you get the point. Very important that we understand this. So as we look at this past of scripture, we see that it's opening up with your identity. Your identity is the beloved. I mean, it's not a real complicated word. If you look it up, it just means one who's really loved. I mean, it really means to be loved. And if somebody were to ask me throughout my life at different points, hey, Preston, what is your identity in this moment? Boy, it would be a mixed bag of things that would be ruled by emotion and circumstance. There have been times I felt like a dirt bag, a jerk. There have been times that I felt like a loser. There have been times I felt like a winner. There have been times I felt like a hero. There's been all kinds of stuff. But the one thing that has been consistent through every single moment of my life, the highs and the lows alike, I've been beloved. I've been the beloved. God's love for me has never changed. That has been the steady line in my identity from the moment I drew breath and for all eternity. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So that's the one I want to latch on to. That's the identity I want to respond to. 
Are there going to be days where I'm a jerk? Probably. Honey, do you have any input on that? Yeah. Are there going to be days where I'm a hero? You bet. I'm going to go out of my way to see to it that happens. But no matter what day I'm in, I'm always the beloved of God. So I want to find out what that means and why it means that so that I can respond to that in every single way imaginable. So here's a couple of things to consider. I mean, I look at this passage of scripture from 1 John 4, 7, and I begin to see some things. Now, I've mentioned before I'm a little bit nutty. Some things are played backwards and forwards because I kind of like to do that just to increase an understanding of it. So you see this passage of scripture, and it identifies you as beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. Okay, so the message is let's love one another. The identity, the address, the one that's being addressed is you, the beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. Now, here's why. Because love is from God. That means we're meant to give to one another the things that are from God. And then it goes on to identify that everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And I can see that as a, a wonderful, you know, poetic element in this scripture. But I have to ask myself, why was that written there? Was it just so that it would sound cool? Like, you know what? It sounds like something's missing. What could we add to that? I know. How about this? Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. That sounds really classy. Yeah, let's add that. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think what's going on here is something is, that's very important that we need to pay attention to. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. If love is meant to be part of my identity as the beloved, where I'm meant to go and give the things that are godly to those who are around me, then I want to be born of God and know God so that I can do that. And so I start to run it backwards. If everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, then I need to ask myself this. In this situation, do I know God? Are my actions born out of who he is? Are these words born out of the words that he would speak into this? Are they born out of the gates of hell? Have I come here bringing the healing words of Jesus Christ, or have I come here to burn this thing to the ground? I mean, these are things that are really worth bringing into our life to influence our thought process and the structure in which we think. Knowing God is an important thing. In fact, knowing God is honestly what would be revealed to us in the Scripture as eternal life. Jesus himself said this. He said, now this is eternal life, that they, that's you and me, would know you, our Heavenly Father, and the Christ whom you've sent. I think it's important to know that passage of Scripture because to know God is to live eternally. To know God is to have that life eternal, that Zoe abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And there's something very specific about knowing God. It means it's relational, it's intimate. It's not knowing about God which is really what we've taken the message of the gospel and done. We want to go and tell people about Jesus rather than introduce people to him. That's a problem. Man-made program that won't work. The only way I can ever introduce people to Jesus is to allow Jesus to abide in me. I knew a man, I still know him, he's not dead. I know a man who was trained in, in, at very high levels in theology and went to prestigious places. And I remember having a conversation with him because I'm not very credential driven. It's just not something that floats my boat. And, and that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just means that I don't, I don't 
particularly, be, I'm not moved by it, I guess is a good way to say it. But yet it was still interesting because of the, the prestige and things that were placed upon it. And we were having a conversation once about it uh, because some people seem to value that at a very high level. And he said, you know what's amazing? I said, what's that? He said, I, I got a, a doctorate in theology by a professor who was an atheist. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I think there's a problem with that. <laughs> what that tells me is you can learn about him all day long and never be introduced to him. And our call is not just to know about him. There's no life in that. But where that abundant life is, where that eternal life is, this is eternal life that they would know you in the Christ whom you've sent. Contact, fellowship, relationship. It's valuable. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We ought to see that's a priority. God, I want to know you in this situation. I want to know how you would handle this so that I can handle it the way you would. I want to be born of you. Now, that's really something that I think we can just, you know, slide right past if we're not careful. And I can tell you my understanding of the concept of being born again transformed dramatically when my sons were born. And it, it, I think it translates, so I'm going to share it with you because I think it's really interesting. I mean, what I realized was they have my DNA. I remember when I looked at them and I thought like, well, that looks like their mom and that looks like their dad and, and that, you know, and you could start to see yourself in them. Now they're 14, so if I tell them that, they don't like that. But you're just like me. They kind of got mad because one day, I'm a little nutty, one day I wore a wig to work. Oh man, they did not like that. They think I'm crazy. I'm not. Not much anyway. Anyway, when you comes down to it, you realize that to be born of God is to be like him. Have his DNA in you. In any situation, is this done out of the knowledge of who you are? Is this done out of my knowing you and my fellowship with you? Is this done because I'm born out of you and I am carrying who you are in me? Is this done in a way that love will be the result? I think that's a really interesting thing. Now, remember, the identity is the beloved. And here's something that I think is worth noting uh, in your notes. And it's, this identity is throughout the Scripture. You'll find it in the Old Testament, New Testament. You'll find it spread out throughout. You are the beloved. There is no doubt about that. That is, is uh, uh, irrefutable. Now, the question is, why? And I think it's important to know that it's completely because God chooses to love you. And I believe love is a choice. You've heard me say that earlier when I talked about love's identity and Corinthians, all those things are choices. We have a saying at our house, you know, and most of the time when this saying comes out, it has some sting to it, but what you choose is what you love. There have been times the wrong things were chosen, and it was very revealing that priorities were out of place. Um, that's a challenge. But as it concerns being the beloved, I think it's important to realize that it's not because of something that you've done, and that's a relief. My dad told me something when I was a kid, and it stuck with me. And I thought, you know, when he said it, I thought it sounded like something that was just kind of a, you know, a goofy fatherly proverb. But then I began to see it play out more in my life. He told me, son, how you get it is how you keep it. And, you know, what that meant was, like, if you get it from, like, stealing and cheating, then you're going to have to steal and cheat to keep it. 
How you get it is how you keep it. And when I consider that being the beloved is, is not something that has been uh, uh, earned or achieved, then it's a relief that I don't have to perform in order to maintain this identity. When I begin to see why this identity is upon my life, and here's a great place to see it if you want it from the scripture, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7, you'll find it around verse 7 and 8. God is talking about his chosen people. He's identifying them as his beloved, and he says this. You weren't chosen because you were great. Pretty interesting, huh? I remember when I proposed to my wife, she said yes, and then she went and was praying, and she told me about her prayer. And can I share that? Before? Okay. Anyway, here's the prayer. She told God, he's not who I would choose. And then God told her, well, he's who I would choose for you, which was great. Thank you, God, for that. But what's really funny is, like, there's a relief that comes to that. That there's no need to perform in order to maintain uh, that identity in those situations. The idea that you're beloved is simply because God loves you. It's not because you can spin plates and pull levers and push buttons. It's because he has an unconditional affection for you. And it's so liberating to come to that understanding. And really and truly, I think it's the kind of thing that falls in the category of revelation. I think you can teach it like we're doing here, and it can just sound weird or nutty, and I don't really get that. But once it's caught, it changes your life forever. You're no longer ruled by things like, like law and, and all of these things that are weighty and a burden and affliction, the things that we're so familiar with and how we fellowship with one another, but we actually get a revelation, and it's even just a glimpse because I don't think we can fully receive the, the full measure of what it means to be loved unconditionally. But once that revelation catches, even in the slightest bit, it is liberating to the heart and the mind. So I told you before we're going to find something in our notes here, and I want to find that. If the idea that being the beloved is not something that I've earned or achieved, but rather it's something that God has for me simply because he loves me, and that being the beloved opens up the door for me to, to function and operate in the same way that he does, meaning that my actions need to be based on me knowing who he is and having fellowship with him and being born of him, having his DNA in me so that the result can be his love, which is who he is because God is love. I want to understand what that needs to look like. I want to give you a passage of scripture and, and here's where we're actually going to uh, apply these things. And I told you in, earlier we're going to find what, what it, the loved must do or what they must be, what it looks like to be loved. I don't know how I worded it earlier, but we're going to do that one. If you have your notes there, James, I want to look at the book of James. Uh, we're going to look at uh, James, uh, it's going to be around verse or chapter 2. If you can't find it there, somebody can find it for me. I want to make sure that we have it for your notes. I'm going to read the passage of scripture to you, and you can, uh, if, if it's not chapter 2, verse 5, let me know. But it opens with this. It identifies you, beloved, beloved. And then it says that you know this, as in this is a fact. This is a true statement. And now here comes the true statement, identifying everyone who's beloved. 
Beloved, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What is it? 118? 118. 118. James 118. I didn't think it was written down right there. Sorry for that. For your notes, James 118. Right? 19. We're getting it. All right, now you got it. Getting close, close enough. All right, back to it. So the identity is beloved. That's you, the one who's loved. And then now here's what the beloved look like. This is what the beloved are to function like. That word must is absolute. Isn't that an interesting word? It doesn't say, hey, the beloved have this ability to be you know, quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. It doesn't say should. Hey, beloved, you should. This is must. In order to function as the beloved, this is an absolute necessity for me. That affects this passage of Scripture in ways that are, are profound. I want to take this into my prayer life and say, God, if to be the beloved, this must be what my life looks like, then let this be me. I want to be quick to hear, I want to be slow to speak, and I want to be slow to anger. So that when people look at me, they will see the beloved. If that's what it must look like for there to be this identity upon my life, then whatever it takes... And let me tell you something. If you've ever prayed whatever it takes, you got some serious guts. I mean it. And let me tell you something. God responds to serious guts. This is, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again because I think it's funny. I think it's really funny. But God will listen to your prayers. There was a time I was pastoring a church in Oklahoma, and I remember this church being handed off, and it had a lot of trouble, a lot of issues. And uh, the pastor was, you know, telling me over a meal, he was saying, telling me kind of the testimony, how the church came to be, and he said, man, I just wanted to pastor so bad, I remember telling God, I'll take the meanest bunch of people you got, and I thought, well, he answered your prayer, buddy, because you got, you got them, and I mean, oh, this group of people was, they had some, some real challenges, and one of the challenges was there was a lot of malicious gossip, and it got turned toward my family in, in very hateful ways, it was really nasty, and I'd kind of had enough of it. You know how that goes. You know, you just you get your fill of something, and you're being patient and kind, and, and that kind of runs its course. It's, kind of, it's, like a, it's like you run out of gas, you know, kind of spit and sputter, and the next thing you know, you're at a complete stop. Well, I was at a complete stop here in, in my prayer and was so frustrated and had stopped, you know, praying, you know, for those who were doing this and started praying, you know, <laughs> about those who were doing this and was ready for God just to strike some people down. And I remember praying this prayer. And this, I just remember it because it was so weird. It sounded so, like, formal. But I, I asked God, will you dry up the tongue of the gossip? And the next morning I woke up, and my tongue was so swollen, and I couldn't talk. It, it was like three days before I could get my speech back. It, and I just thought, okay, I get it. That's, I get what you're saying here. It was a mess, man. So when I say, you know, you want to go into your prayer closet and you want to ask God, hey, whatever it takes, I got news for you. He's got, he's got a pretty deep, you know, toolbox. So he can get it done. But that's the heart that he's looking for. These are the things that I need in my life. And no matter what it takes, I, I need this to happen. I want to look like you. I, I want to have your DNA revealed to this world through my words and actions. I want, to be, I want to be quick to hear, and I want to be slow to speak, and I want to be slow to anger so that when the world sees me, they'll see your beloved. They'll see the one that's just like you. 
cool, huh? And so these are some things that we know we need, and, and we can take that into our prayer closet. Now, I stop at the beginning here. In fact, that's where I'm going to stop uh, today at quick to hear. Because I think if you talk about being, you know, uh, slow to speak and slow to anger and all of those things before you're quick to hear, you put the cart before the horse. I'm not telling you we're going to make a series out of this. We might. We might touch on this again next week and keep going with it. But I can tell you, for me, step one is going to be quick to hear. What's it matter if I'm slow to speak and slow to anger if I'm not quick to hear? Right? Then I'm just a nice guy that doesn't say much, that's oblivious to everything around him. It makes me a moron. A nice moron, but a moron. I first need to be aware of my surroundings. I need to be quick to listen. I need to be aware of what's happening here and 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 there and there and there and there and there. I need to know what's going on around me. Step one to being effective. Quick to hear. So I wrote down a few things that I think are, are tips to being quick to hear and put a, a couple of scriptures together to kind of seal them here. And so if somebody were saying, hey, Pastor Preston, today we're going to talk about being quick to hear. What do you think is the most important thing with being quick to hear? You have to have value for the one that's talking. If you do not value the one that is speaking, you're not going to hear Jack. I say this at risk of great hypocrisy. I have tuned out a lot of people, and they did not deserve that. If I'm going to God and saying, I want to be quick to hear, one of the things I'm going to ask for is, will you teach me to value the voice of the one that's speaking? I remember once going to minister with a, a, a man. Some of you know him. Many of you do, actually. Nigel McNeil. He asked, hey, will you come to these meetings that we're having? And he just said, I just want you to be there. I'm not asking you to do anything. I said, sure. And we went. We drove. It was a long drive. We had to go across the country. And, and then he said, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Tonight, I, I would like for you just to walk the altar with me. And, uh, and you're not, I don't want you to lay hands on anybody or minister. I'm here to do that, but I just want you to be there to experience it. And I said, well, that would be wonderful. Thank you. you know? And I did. It was a long night of ministry, ministered to hundreds of people, and it was very powerful and very effective. It was really a profound experience. And afterward, then, you know, he's wore out from the evening of ministry and winding down, and, and we were able to have some conversation and I remember just asking him some, some questions that you really have to get the guts up to ask, you know. Because as Christians, we like to all, we, we, don't, we know it all, right? We're, we know everything. We don't, we don't need to ask any questions. I just asked him this, how does that work? What I saw you do, I mean, how does that work? And what was really funny was his answer. It wasn't anything in like, it's all in the wrists, you know. I mean, it wasn't mechanical at all. It was very much in the heart. He said, you know, when I'm there at the altar ministering to somebody, I may only have like 30 seconds with them. And I have to focus so much. One of the reasons why I'm so tired right now, you know, but I have to focus so much because in that 30 seconds, that person standing across from me becomes the most important person in the world to me. And I thought, oh my God, I've missed it. All these years, I've missed it. And it makes sense that there would be value placed on the one who's speaking. What do you need to see God do in your life? 
What is this disease that you need to see uh, healing from? What is this problem that you need to see this miracle in? There's value placed on the other person. And it opens up the door for something great and effective to happen. And I think it's why you see things like this. I told you there's a couple of verses here. I'll give it to you. Uh, you can write down in your notes Matthew 15, 32. But it's going to just be the context be Matthew 15. Around verse 32. I mean, this is Jesus, and he's been ministering. He's been working hard. He's really tired, wore out. I think he crossed a lake maybe even. If he didn't cross a lake, then he had to walk somewhere really far. The point is, if you've ever traveled somewhere, by the time you get there, you're ready for a vacation, right? He gets to this place, and, and he sees people, and he's moved, and, and, and the word says that he's moved with compassion. And in this specific place, he ministers for a long time, and people are hungry, and he sees that they're hungry, and he, he says that he has compassion for them, and so he meets their need. Now, I know I said value because I think you can't have compassion until you value someone. But the point is, they're going to be one and the same as far as where I'm going with this. If you do not value the one who is speaking, you'll never hear their voice. And it'll be impossible to be quick to hear. And I love this passage of scripture here that we pulled from Jesus having compassion. Because it reveals why. When you see words in the scripture like because, pay attention to them. Because the, they are revealing a, a reason behind something. Jesus had compassion for them because, and it says, because they had nothing. Because they had nothing. He was moved to fill a void. There's an emptiness here that needs to be filled up. And that kind of drive or desire is something that is a catalyst for the power of God. We don't just value the people that can elevate our lives. We need to put value on those who have absolutely nothing to give. I remember once changing my sermon for someone who I knew was visiting because I wanted to impress them. It was the lamest message I've ever preached in my life. But I was valuing them for what they could do for me. And there was a room full of people who had absolutely nothing to give that I needed to put value on. Pretty interesting to consider. If you're going to be quick to hear, you're going to have to value the voice across from you. Here's another tip for being quick to hear. You're going to have to be humble. You're going to have to be humble. It's kind of hard to listen when you're too busy talking. I know this sounds danger close to getting over into slow to speak. But there have been so many times that I have shut down someone from talking because I assumed I knew where they were going with it. And I didn't even have to break verbally and interrupt I could check out mentally. I already know what they're going to say. That's an arrogant thing to consider, that you already know what someone's going to say. We would all do better being quick to hear, one, if we value the voice across from us, two, if we let that voice speak from start to finish. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that I think is really important to have, and it may apply loosely. No matter what, it's a great passage, so don't write it off. From Luke chapter 6, you get around verse 41, but the idea is trying to help somebody. Somebody comes to you with, with you know, some kind of a, a need or, or some kind of an issue, and we always want to address these things, and, and sometimes we address these things without first dealing with our own heart issues. And I know it seems like a loose application here, but Jesus is telling us, hey, get your heart right so that you can help people. 
Get all the arrogance and all of the narcissism out so that you can actually be a catalyst for the Spirit of God to move in and through your life. And in this case, having a humble heart, a heart that's willing to examine itself first, is going to be quick to listen instead of just assume with anyone else. I have a number of people that I work with that bring tremendous problems and issues, and it's very easy for me to see that situation as just stupid or self-inflicted. But if I'll pause and start to examine my own life, I'll begin to see, you know what, we're not that different. It might manifest in a different way, but I have some of the same issues in principle. And being able to humble my heart to see my own issues makes me to see clear to be able to help them with theirs. So being quick to listen is going to mean value that voice across from you, being humble and searching your own heart. And then here's the one that I'm going to put as the third one. Why would the word tell us to be slow to speak? And keep in mind, it doesn't mean to speak slow. Be slow to speak. I mean, the word slow there is a, a word that would have to do with, like, delivery and timing. And I think that when you consider words, timing is really important. Let me give you a passage of Scripture here for your notes from the Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 23. How good and delightful. I mean, do those words sound pleasant to you? Good? Yeah. Delightful? You bet. How good and delightful is a word spoken in the right moment. Being slow to speak isn't about just, hey, zip it. Being slow to speak is about making sure the timing is right. Saying the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. I may have the word to deliver in a moment, but I need to make sure that that moment is right. And let me tell you, this is where we need some serious assistance. I have jumped right into the middle of things because I'm pretty type A. Well, here's what you need to do. Do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, that. Timing was wrong, all because of my aggression and all because of my impatience and all because of my impulsivity, all because of my desire to just clean it up real fast so we don't have to deal with it. I need to slow down and ask God, hey, I know what I need to say in this moment, but what I need to know is when's the right moment to say it. Look at Jesus. Throughout the gospel, nobody has better timing than him with anything ever spoken. He doesn't just stand up and fire all of his guns at once, saying all these profound things and letting everybody sort through it. But all of that wisdom and all of that understanding is inside just waiting for the right moment. What if he stood and preached, let him who has no sin cast the first stone, before that woman was drug out in front of him? But he waits for the right moment to deliver that profound word. Timing. So if I want to be you know, quick to hear, I need to make sure that I'm going to be slow in the sense of delivery. And that means I want to have the timing. I want to listen, I want to be humble, and I want to value the voice across from me. Let me give you a couple passages of scriptures and we're closing with this. I mentioned before we're going to find out why love is so valuable. I want you to, to understand that when God's called us to these things, he's called us to these things so that we can share them with one another. That DNA that we share with him isn't meant to just be a badge of honor that sets us apart from the rest of the world so that we're identified as some elite. But rather, that DNA is meant to be so that we are family and we are united one to another. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, Beloved, if God has so loved us, so we ought to love one another. This mentality that's quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger is meant to be so that we can relate to one another in a way that's productive, that isn't given to, to fighting and strife, but that's given to productivity and healing and life. And then I want to close with this passage of Scripture. Why love is so valuable. Why being loved and being the beloved, why loving one another through that identity, that identity that's quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, is so valuable. I'll give you the passage of Scripture. Here's why I believe love is so valuable. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, There's no fear in love, but love drives out all fear. When you consider that and the value behind that, I think it's absolutely priceless. If you could take from a person's life every bit of anxiety, every bit of insecurity, every drop of fear and lift it off of them, you would see a healthy person. I think you'd see the image of God. And the reality that God has equipped us with his DNA, that he's called us to be just like him so that we can love one another and, and provide to one another that which drives out all fear tells me that he's equipped us to see to it that this is as anxiety-free a community as you could possibly have. The question is, are we doing it the way that he's designed it to be done? Or are we bringing the world's ways into his kingdom? I want to live in such a way where I am the beloved. I want that to be my identity. I want to respond to that identity. And I also want to appear as that identity. And if that identity must be quick to hear, then I want to be quick to hear. If that identity must be slow to speak, then I want to be slow to speak. And if that identity must be slow to anger, then I want to be slow to anger. I mentioned before some of the things that, you know, this week took place. And I asked myself, was I quick to hear? Was I slow to speak? Was I slow to anger? I think it's a good filter to run things through. I'd just like to get to the point where I run things through that filter before they come to pass rather than after. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. I know we're a little bit longer than we normally are, and I apologize for that. I want to pray quickly with the idea being that God is present to minister to us. There's no stronger minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's anyone in the room that can't take elements of the word today and apply it to their life in some fitting way. The idea that we are surrounded by people that have tremendous needs and that we have a call in our life to be like Jesus and to introduce that value and compassion and introduce that uh, uh, humility of heart and bring that perfect timing, God's wonderful timing into every situation that can bring about miraculous solution. Every one of us needs to see that come to pass. It has application in every part of our life, marriage and family, business, no matter what, you can take these things and they can make your life more fruitful in every way imaginable. 
I want to pray, but not because of that, because that by itself is desirable, but I want to pray and I want to give thanks and ask God to let this be the case for each of us, all because it's his desire for our lives. When I walk out of here, it's not just about some kind of academic exchange that makes my life better, but it's the reality that I came into a deeper understanding that God loves me so much that he's taken all kinds of junk out of my life and putting great things into it so that I can be like him. I want my relationship with him to grow, my awareness of his love for me to grow, and I want that for you too. So I want to pray. You're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement or a, a state of receiving, however you choose. But the prayer is for us collectively. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. You're so good to us. We open our hearts and our minds to receive from you. That we wouldn't simply grow in our understanding academically, but that we might grow in our awareness and our fellowship with you. That we'd come to new and greater understandings of the depths of your love for us. And the call that you placed upon us to be just like you. Let our identity be established as the beloved. Let that be the, the steady foundation that would never change no matter what situation or circumstance we find ourselves in. And let us live according to that identity that we would be quick to hear. Let us value your creation. Let us value all of those around us. Humble our hearts to be set free from arrogance and narcissism. And let us surrender to your timing. That we would be sensitive to the direction that you would lead us in. That we would cooperate in releasing all that is true into this world. And that cooperation with your spirit would bring about perfect timing that would result in things that are delightful. Things that bring life. Let us be quick to hear and let the results be that we would be slow to speak and slow to anger. That when the world would look upon us, they would see you and come to know that we are your beloved. And be honored and glorified in these things. Set us free from old ways and old habits that are destructive and release us into new ways that bring about life and prosperity. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at